Okay, we're back. It's uh, episode number seven, uh, the big seven. Uh, today is Sunday, April 25th. We missed a week. Um, but I think we're getting the hang of this. And um, I think you, uh, we left off. Um, you were sort of finishing up in Boston and making the move to New York, if I remember correctly. That, that's right. We had just finished uh, uh, Harvard mm-hmm. and uh, had now transferred to Columbia. This is January 1958 now. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, before I uh, talk about my days and education at Columbia, let, let me just, by way of context, say a few words about the period in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, this is the late 1950s, mm. the Eisenhower years, mm. good times economically comfortable life for most of the Americans, mm. a bit of isolationist conservative um, streak here and there. Mm. Um, remember also they had just uh, finished the or completed the McCarthy era. era, era. Yeah. Uh, so the fear of anti-communists and, and cold or euphoria is up in the air. But not uh-huh. very visible at, at the time uh, I, I, we arrived. Okay. Uh, this is also the, uh, I should have said last week, and I, I just, uh, by way of going back a little bit, uh, I had witnessed the 1956 elections of Eisenhower versus Stevenson. Oh, yeah. That, that yeah. was important for you know somebody entering college, right? Yeah, it was very interesting. <laughs> Here is a... A competition between a popular general who yeah. had ended the Korean War yeah. and an egghead yeah. <laughs> intellectual Stevenson. Yeah. The university community, the students, and certainly myself, we were all for Stevenson. Yeah. And I remember uh, attending a rally at Harvard Square in uh, University Hall where uh, Stevenson came to, to speak. Uh, wow. uh, it was very interesting. Uh, that's like that's like the Obama of his time. I mean, it wasn't the yeah. same environment, but I mean, but you know, the intellectuals love Obama. I mean, he's one of them. Exactly, exactly. Um, during the period I was at Harvard and Columbia, I know I'm, you know, it's not very chronologically. Uh, I'm going uh, forward and backwards, but uh, I know I witnessed this '56 uh, election, but also in 1960, yeah. I, I I was here. I was in the country during the. Uh, the, uh, the election between uh, uh, Kennedy yeah. and Nixon. When he when Nixon lost. Yeah. When Nixon lost. This yeah. was the first time they had televised those... Uh, oh, yeah. First uh, televised uh, debates. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, at that time, I, I was... Or, I was uh, had finished my studies and was at uh, the State University of New York. And I remember the speech uh, very, very clearly when uh, uh, the inauguration speech in January, when uh, among other things, uh, Kennedy said, think not what you can, what your country yeah. can do for you, but what you can do for your country with Robert Frost, the poet, uh, next to him. Um, and I remember saying, uh, hearing this and going to class and telling my students that you know this statement. Really? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it struck me very, very much. Um, anyway. So we're back. Okay. 
so I'm just giving you the background by way of a context uh, before I started my years at uh, Teachers College, Columbia University. Uh, I mentioned the two elections. And also, I just want to say that this was also a period of uh, uh, when of anti-colonialism, struggle mm. of the many, many African countries uh, um, during the uh, last bit of the colonial era. In 1960, just in one year, 16 countries gained their independence. Wow. Uh, Benin, Burkina Faso, Chad, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, a whole lot of them. What used to be, uh, what was used to be referred to as uh, French Equatorial Africa and French Tropical Africa, you know, just on the map, you know, you only saw French Tropical Africa or French Equatorial wow. Africa. Yeah. Now these were carved into specific countries and, and that was great, you know, all these Burkina Fasos and, and Benins and so forth were part of one or the other. Uh, so, uh, a lot of... Uh, so, I didn't know that, actually. So, I mean, even though, I mean, I, I assume maybe Nigeria had borders. I mean, so, a lot of the countries actually did not get independence, but actually were created. Particularly the in the French area. Huh, I didn't know that. The colonial French area. Yeah. I mean, we never heard of any of these countries before. Yeah. I mean, they were, as I said, when we were in class in studying geography, or even in most maps, they were indicated just as... Uh, French Tropical Africa or French Equatorial Africa. Wow. Uh, but the English ones, I mean, like uh, Ghana, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, these we knew, at least Ghana was called the Gold Coast, of course, yeah, but yeah. at least we knew the boundaries. Uh, yeah. But the French ones, no. I mean, it was... <laughs> I never knew that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, during this uh, anti-colonial struggle, Ethiopia played a key role because it was just about the only country in the United Nations, uh, apart from Liberia. And the Ethiopian delegation was uh, the kind of uh, uh, advocate for yeah. the independence of these countries. So lots of delegations would come to the UN to give the testimony to the decolonization committee. Yeah. I had friends in the, on that committee, Ethiopian friends on that committee. and. Uh, so when I later on, I will mention it, when I later on, when I started to teach at uh, State University of New York in, at New Pulse, uh, you know, this came in handy because I could invite some of these freedom mm. fighters to my class and they would come and, wow. and talk to my students, uh, um, you know, people from Rhodesia in those days. It was called Rhodesia, yeah. uh, Zimbabwe and um, Zambia or Nyasa land, which became Malawi. Uh, South Africa, all of this, and I had friends from those countries who would come to my class and give a lecture, and this was a big thing for the college, as well as for my classes, of course. Yeah. Uh, Kifli was also part of many of these delegations, and later on he becomes a deputy head of the Ethiopian mission to the UN, so that came in very handy. <laughs> yeah. So, so in the in the UN, that was the, <laughs> Ethiopia was the only other sub-Saharan country. Is that is that what you mean? Aside from Liberia? Exactly. For, for I never. I mean, of course. I mean, that's obvious because everything else was a colony. But I never thought about. I mean, the UN existed for what almost twenty years at that point, right? I mean, or fifteen years at right. least, with only one real African country. I mean, Liberia. I mean, we can yeah. we can we can pay some respect to, but you know, yeah. it's a little different. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's true. Yeah. Uh, a little later on, towards the end of fifties, the fifties, Sudan became independent. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Ghana gained its independence in 57. It was the first one, right? Yeah, yeah. 50, 57 or 50. 
57, as I remember. Yeah. Uh, 57, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, all the others were in 1960. As I said, uh, 16 countries got their independence in just that one guy, one year. One wow. year. Yeah. It's um, an amazing time. I mean, you know, and so did that play a role in your life? I mean, I mean, before, between, you know, you're somewhere between just being black and, I guess, alien, and now at least you're representing, you know, kind of a famous country. Well, it, yeah. it changed uh, the climate quite a lot. I mean, it helped me get a job, for one thing. I mean, yeah. when I joined to teach at uh, uh, State University in New yeah. Poles, uh, you know, this was a, a big thing. I mean, the decolonization and the gaining of independence for the African countries was yeah. a big thing. So that college started a course to introduce students to uh, to what they called non-Western cultures. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, In the uh, 60s. Yeah. Yeah. And I was hired specifically to head the unit that uh, gave courses, or classes rather, Mm. classes, lectures, on the African independence movement and the coming of these countries into independence. Wow. In addition to that, I taught sociology and so forth, but uh, it changed quite a bit. I mean, the climate, uh, yeah, it changed quite a bit. I mean, is that, is that, I mean, I, I assume that at the time it was very exciting, but coming out of Ethiopia, I mean, you weren't, you know, you didn't associate yourself with the revolutionary movements. I mean, you were kind of a patriotic Ethiopian, right? I mean, it wasn't a question of, of independence. That's true. This is quite, you're quite true. I mean, uh, uh, we didn't share many of their experiences, yeah. but uh, uh as students, we met some of them, you know, before the independence. And mm. uh, but when they became independent, you know, we kind of instinctively became one of them, sort yes. of. Say. For instance, when Ghana got its independence, yeah. uh, we, meaning the Ethiopian students, in fact, I was president of the African Students Union uh, in New York at the time. We organized a big party for them, and Mayor Wagner, the, Robert Wagner was the mayor of New York. Mm. Uh, he allowed us to use the city hall for the party. Wow. Uh, and the ambassador, the Ethiopian ambassador to the UN uh, helped us get uh, uh, <laughs> to buy the beverages, whiskey and scotch and whatever, you know, at the uh, UN rates, very tax-free, duty-free. Mm. So we had a big party, and we were very much part of the, you know, and so we celebrated it that way. What event was that? That was the Ghana, or what was that? Ghana. Oh, okay. In 57. Wow. So you were you were president of the African Students Union of the city or of Colombia? I mean, what is that? Uh, I was uh, president of the African Students Union in North America. Okay, that's even bigger. <laughs> no, no, sorry. No, no, that's no, no. I was president of the Ethiopian Students Union of North America. Okay. But, but for the Africans, it was just for New York. <laughs> so you had two titles. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so uh, yeah. That's great. So the, so you got uh, cheap liquor. That's it. That's going to make you a very popular president. <laughs> so it was a, quite, a, quite a big party. Mm-hmm. The, in those days, you know, there was... Uh, uh, a tension between Nigeria and Ghana mm. uh, for uh, uh, leadership of the African students oh, and okay. generally of African affairs mm. in, in Africa, whether it's at the UN. Uh, uh, so at least with the students, <laughs> in regard to the students, 
whenever there was a, a deadlock between a Ghanaian student and a, and a Nigerian student, uh, they would take an Ethiopian as a dark horse candidate. <laughs> I think that's how I got to be selected or elected to be uh, president of the right. America because I had just arrived in New York and I wasn't all that well known. So I take it uh, it's there did look situation that allowed me to become president. Oh, well, I mean, it's just a microcosm. How does you know the same way the the African Union ended up in Addis Ababa, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. They couldn't agree among themselves. There was so much, uh, yeah, history, yeah, rivalry between them going back many, many years, many, many decades. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, but they could have picked somebody else, right? So you can still take the credit. I mean. Uh, okay. So this was a period of the uh, anti-colonial mm. and. Uh, I also managed to uh, listen to some of the discussions in the United Nations sitting in the public gallery of the UN. Wow, okay. I remember Andy and Manasse and myself, we would go there and listen. In fact, Manasse was doing a part-time job uh, as a radio announcer for the United Nations. Hmm. The Amharic program of the United Nations, he was the one who would... Uh, 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 you know, translate whatever was given to him and uh, and, 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 and transmit it to Ethiopia. And uh, he would need two or three persons to help him. Uh, like when, you know, he would read uh, the main things, you know, the United Nations did this, that, and the other. Or, uh, and then when he comes to say, and at this time, the uh, American ambassador so-and-so said that one of us would go in, you know, we, we became actors in that drama. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I would t- uh, somebody would take the role of the you know, American ambassador or the Russian. So between Andy, myself, and then another guy called Hamid, uh, we covered most of the. <laughs> it's like a radio drama. This is great. Yeah. 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 So we would transmit once a week on yeah. Tuesday afternoons. We'd go to the UN radio department, mass media department, yeah. and do that. So we would, you know, even if it's on the periphery, by watching the public galleries and. And uh, participating in these, I mean, you know, in these radio broadcasts, yeah. uh, we are somewhat involved, even if peripherally, as I said. Anyways. Yeah. Either way, you're the only Ethiopians around. I mean, right? I mean, there's not, I mean, it's a small community. I mean, there's, yeah. a, there's one, you know, delegation from Africa and, you know, and yeah. people in the gallery. I mean, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. This was a period of, as I said, uh, uh, decolonization. It was also the period of, the civil rights movement in mm. the United States, the late 50s and early 60s. Um, so we witnessed that. Uh, I remember also there uh, participating in uh, sit-downs at, mm. uh, at uh, Woolworth uh, in, on Broadway and 101st really? Street. Yeah, there was a, a, a Safeway, uh, not Safeway, uh, a Woolworth store mm. on Broadway, just across, almost across from Columbia University. That particular store did not discriminate. I mean, did not uh, forbid uh, colored people to eat, uh, black people to uh, sit there on on the counter or anything. Mm. But it was the demonstration against the whole chain. So most of these, Mm. most of the Woolworth stores that did this were in the South. Mm. But the, but 
we were, the, the movement was against the whole chain. So we did uh, we we uh, participated in the boycotting and 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 sit down strikes against the local Woolworth store. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's actually it sounds silly, but I, mean, I would imagine it's actually very effective because they're actually losing business. Yes. Right. I mean, the ones in the south didn't. <laughs> I mean, they didn't want the blacks anyway. Uh, but isn't there yeah. a famous? What's the famous Woolworth sit-down, though? I mean, isn't there Woolworth? There's a Woolworth story. I mean, they're just like Rosa Parks and their bus. There's also a Woolworth yeah, story, the south, isn't there? In the south, I believe. Uh, I forget exactly the details. Yes, that is the story. Uh, but in the north, the Woolworth, as I said, it was more symbolic than real. I mean, you know, it was part of the chain. So, yeah. 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 So did, there, uh, did, the, did the other Africans also participate? I mean, was there Africans and blacks oh, yeah. together? No, no, no. Black Americans were the main ones. Yeah. They're the ones who, do, who took the most lead, particularly the black Muslims. Oh, I'll yeah. talk about them in a little yeah. while. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, we were just uh, add-ons, so to say. I mean, you know, a few Ethiopians here and there sat with the blacks. Yeah. Black Americans and black, I mean, Africans. That's what I'm saying. So it was all Africans. It wasn't just Ethiopians. Yeah. No, no. no. I mean, there is a moment of, you know, true unity, right? I mean, there's a lot of speech and, I mean, there, but there you're actually, you know, demonstrated together. It's not, that doesn't happen that often with the rest of Africa. That's right. Mm. Uh, I should add here that, uh, you remember when we talked about Harvard, I said the foreign student, the the office of uh, foreign affairs, uh, foreign students office was our main uh, Home away from home. Yeah. Here in New York, it was the International House. Okay. There, there is a new place called International House. I don't know if you visited it. It's a big mm-hmm. structure mm-hmm. on 500 Riverside Drive. Mm-hmm. It's a, and uh, the building and all the property was given to the International House movement to buy uh, the Rockefeller family. Oh, interesting. Uh, so it, it, it had, uh, you know, it was big enough to have uh, uh, rooms. People would stay there over, you know, I mean, rent rooms there. It had meals. It would give concerts. And, and, yeah. and there's a nice room where we could listen to classical music there. And, you know, it was, it was a, for all practical purposes, our student center. And that's where, you know, we'd make uh, friends and meet friends. And It was, uh, it was Columbia or it was independent? For, no, no, it had, uh, it's for all foreign students. In the city? I mean, it's just anybody can come. Yeah, you know, there were these international houses uh, in, in a number of places in America. Oh. I remember the one in Chicago, which I had visited. Uh, I remember the, there is one also in Cambridge, Massachusetts, but it was a much smaller affair. It was a much smaller, no rooms or no meals. But the one in New York was a big one. So it was more or less a movement, I think. I don't know who <clears throat> much about it, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, somebody uh, paid for it. That's very interesting. I mean, yeah. that's... Yeah. Yeah, I know the one in New York was, uh, you know, there was a, a plaque that said uh, donated or uh, given by uh, the Rockefeller Fund. Yeah. Yeah. So that came in very handy. So that's where we would meet and, you know, uh, plan our uh, social life and so forth and so on. So it was a, a place we visited how many, frequently. How many, yeah. how many just, uh, just as a rough idea, yeah. how many, you know, black or whatever, just say African students... Were there? I mean, how many people? I mean, is that you know, the twenty-five? You know, fifty-five hundred? Yeah. I mean, what kind oh, of? Oh no, no, in the twenties, I would say. Oh my God, really? Yeah, twenties, twenty-five. Yeah, and we that, knew each other. Yeah, of course, the twenty-five. I mean, so that's and that's probably the the bulk of the city, right? I mean, there's probably not many people you didn't know. 
if, especially if there was a place like the International House and these kids had nowhere else to go. That's right. They would come there. Yeah. But, but in addition to the Africans, you know, there would be lots of Latin Americans. Oh, of course, Lots, yeah. Of, yeah, lots yeah. of those from Asia. Yeah. Uh, and lots of those from the Arab countries, particularly Iran. Mm. So it was uh, a truly international. international yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, so I just mentioned the international house as a, uh, as I said, a home away from home. Yeah. Uh, also, by way of a background, I, you know, as I said, I was the president of the African Students Union in 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 New York, and one of the things we did there was, uh, I did there was in 1959. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you've read about it, but there was this massacre of about 69. Yeah, 69 blacks in South Africa as in, a, in a town called Sharpville. The Sharpville Massacre, yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. yeah. Barely, but, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, no, no, this was in March 1960. Yeah. The, the Sharpville incident took place in March 1960. Yeah. Uh, I was still in New York. I hadn't gone yet to uh, teach. Yeah. So, uh, as I said, I had been president since 59 and... Uh, uh, we organized a demonstration uh, mm. to march uh, from, <laughs> you, can imagine, you can guess, from the International House down Broadway all the way to the South African mission to the United Nations. Wow. And then from there to the to uh, the United Nations itself. That's a long had, way. Yeah. yeah we had yeah. planned to carry a, a casket draped in black, but we were not allowed. The police would came to our uh, to my apartment uh, uh, the, you know we had to register to uh, the route you know which route we're taking who was the president you know the, the, we had to go and, and, and register this at the police station so the, on the basis of our registration they came to my apartment wow. and uh, uh, told us that we cannot carry that coffin uh, and then we had to tell them um, the route which they registered they made sure that we were not carrying any bombs or any gunfire. Yeah. Oh, uh, but yeah. the interesting thing there is that, of course, that we, we demonstrated. But more importantly, uh, at least more significantly, the uh, the blacks that joined us in this march, mm. the African students, most of them came from New York, NYU, New York University, as well as Columbia. But from the blacks, uh, although we sent uh, flyers all over Harlem, the ones that came in bark were the black Muslims. Wow, yeah. Headed by Malcolm X himself. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, so Malcolm X and I, he representing the blacks, me representing the African students, were uh, standing hand in hand carrying a, a placard. And uh-huh. we had, I, had, I had that picture with me for many, many years, but I left it in Ethiopia when I came to the to, to, to America. But he he would he came with his with his large number of uh, black Muslims uh, that uh, enlivened our party. Uh, <laughs> incidentally, I should say that uh, I came to know Malcolm X uh, reasonably well. We used to uh, go to uh, an Indian restaurant <laughs> on One Twenty Fifth and and then Broadway. Okay. Uh, yeah, and and stay there until two hours, in the wee hours of the night, you know, two hour, two o'clock, three o'clock, discussing all kinds of things, and he impressed me as a very uh, intelligent, well-read person. So I asked him how, how you know, uh, we knew I read somewhere that he had not gone to school, you know, I barely finished high school. Mm. So he said he 
what he did during his many years in jail, you know, was, was read. Mm. So he was extremely well read. He was very bitter. Mm. Uh, you would call the whites uh, the blue-eyed devils or something like that. So that yeah. was a little bit difficult for us to digest. Yeah. But uh, 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 he was quite informed and he was very eager to learn about Africa, so uh, we told him as much as we could. Uh, when I said we, I mean, yeah. it was mostly myself and one or two other Ethiopians uh, uh, who would sit down with him and in that Indian restaurant, which, it was Indian restaurant, but run by a Pakistani. Uh, okay. A Muslim Pakistani. So oh, that, okay, that's that made it okay, yeah. That was the affiliation with the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you, at that time, I mean, this is what, the 60s, he he died 65? When did he die? When was he killed? I had already returned home, I think, uh, yeah, 64, 65, something like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, now, I don't know, I mean, of course, now, you know, he's remembered sort of, you know, proposing violence, you know, as opposed to the rest not, and I'm, I'm sure some of that was said, but I mean, was there kind of an aura of danger around him? No, or I mean, no, I mean, no. you were sitting there at an Indian restaurant looking around, or no? He was just no, a... no, no. I, I uh, repeatedly queried him about his uh, intentions, and his intentions were quite uh, uh, peaceful. I mean, he was trying to get the blacks to become economically self-dependent, independent, self, uh, self-supporting, yeah. and they had all, they had opened two or three stores in Harlem. Uh, where the blacks, you know, that were owned by the black Muslim movement. Um, and they were well-dressed, you know, I mean, the men and the women. Um, and uh, the story that uh, were told in those days was that these black Muslims, because they didn't drink, and, uh, you know, they were very, they have good work ethics, they were easily hired by the big mm. banks and so forth. They wouldn't miss Monday morning as many blacks would miss because they, they, you know, yeah. they didn't get drunk over the weekend. Yeah. Um, I knew, I mean, as I said, he did have these anti-white feelings, but I didn't see any of that being translated into violence, no. Not certainly not uh, in 1960. That's when I'm talking about 5960. Yeah. But I mean, but it did, I don't, you know, I don't even know his story well enough, but I mean, was the, you know, label of violence put on him or I mean, or was he, you know, overtly saying things, you know, that you recall? I mean, obviously he was killed, you know, that's violent. Yeah. But uh, Towards the end, I think, you know, after a while, uh, I, I all, uh, the story is a little bit uh, fuzzy in my mind too. Yeah. But by then I had returned home, but I know he fell uh, 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 from uh, the, the the leader of the Black Muslim Movement, Elijah Muhammad. Yeah. Uh, they didn't get along well afterwards. So yeah. uh, I think by then he was becoming more and more radical. He went to visit uh, uh, Muslim countries, Saudi Arabia, and so forth, and yeah. he started to compare notes, and then uh, he got radicalized, but but not. When I knew him, he was radical in the sense that he was very much anti-white, yeah. but not uh, violence. I didn't see much of violence yeah. uh, talking. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, and you were there. I mean, you know, now of course, you know, anybody that is, you know, espouses uh, strength or power, you know, with Islam, and at the same time, right, is tainted, right? So it's very hard now from this perspective to look yeah. at. Yeah. Uh, well, 
another uh, speaking of these uh, famous people I, I got to know during this you know period uh, I'm being a little bit incoherent jumping from one topic to another but was uh, uh, WB Du Bois you met Du Bois did I know that yes I met Du Bois I, could, I used to collect his books uh, Phil yeah. uh, all, I had most of his books uh, virtually a complete set of his books uh, the Souls of Black Folk, uh, uh, the uh, Philadelphia Negro, Black Reconstruction, the Souls of Black uh, uh, Folk, mm -hmm. uh, many of those books. So I used to take these books, and they were very expensive <laughs> for, for a student, and take the train, uh, mm -hmm. I think it was the A train or whichever train that went to Brooklyn. He used to live in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So I used to go there and have him uh, autograph those books for me, and he wow. would do it very happily. So I, I, I had quite a few collection in Ethiopia, and uh, oh it, as you know, I left. Uh, yeah. On, yeah, so that's one of the things that uh, I miss the most uh, <laughs> when I came here. Yeah. I wish I had brought them with me. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, I, in fact, I first met Du Bois when the Ethiopian, no, no, the African Students' Union meeting in Chicago in around 1958 or 57 or 58, shortly after we had arrived in, in America. I was not uh, an officer of the African Students' Union at the time. Yeah. Uh, they had invited him as the keynote speaker okay. and, the, and, the, and the, get the meeting took place in Chicago. I, I remember him coming to our meeting and you know, as, a, as the main speaker yeah. and, and advising us, you know, you make sure you follow what go, what's going on in China. There is a lot wow. for you Africans to learn from China. I yeah. remember him saying that, and those words, uh, you know, stayed in my mind for years to, you know, uh, yeah. What yeah. did he mean by that? In what sense? I mean, well, the, because I mean the communists were in power, obviously. I mean, what, what was he talking about? Well, he himself was very much of a socialist, as you know. Yeah. In fact, his part was, was taken away from him later on, and he espoused communism. And he died in Ghana uh, because, uh, you know, they wouldn't uh, uh, let him come back here. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but I think he meant that this was an underdeveloped country, a rural pastoral country, agricultural country, and it's transforming itself into an industrial country, and that's the pattern for Africans to follow. Mm. That, that, so, I think that, yeah. That's interesting. You're right. I mean, I, I, I we don't. No, I mean, the the story hasn't changed, right? I mean, 50 years later, you know, Africa. I mean, what China has done. I mean, everybody wants to do. I mean, not least yeah. Africa. Yeah, with the Europeans, you know, uh, because of their anti-colonial uh, uh, history, and also because they're European and uh, well developed. Uh, yes, there is a lot to learn, but. Uh, more so from China, according to him, I think, if I read him right, yeah. because it is in the process of changing and in the process of uh, of industrializing. The industrial revolution for him, uh, as he saw it, was yet to come for China. Yeah. So he was making a, a comparison with the level of development in Africa and saying that you know, you're nearer to China, hence there is more to learn from China. You yeah. know, that, that kind of argument. That's how I interpreted it at the time. No, that makes sense. So the other interesting thing there that you just mentioned, though, is that you're going from New York to Chicago for the African Student Union meeting. So, I mean, you guys, I mean, obviously you had, you know, limited funds, but it was important enough to go, you know, in this way, in this case, halfway across the country to meet, right, what few other students there were, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's good of you to uh, notice that, you know. Uh, 
in those days, it was a big thing to meet another Ethiopian. We were so few of us. Yeah. And uh, the reason I went to Chicago, I took the ground Greyhound bus. Mm. It took oh, it took hours, almost uh, what, over ten hours or yeah. fifteen, sixteen. I forget 14, how many. Fourteen is this yeah. yeah, yeah. It was we went through upstate New York, Rochester, yeah. Chicago. Uh, the reason was uh, we had made an appointment with Kifle and Takali, who were at the yeah. time in uh, Wisconsin and Illinois, respect respectively, and we had agreed to meet in Chicago. Okay, that's good. For yeah. uh, for was it Christmas or uh, Easter? I forget one of the uh, holidays. So that's why I went there in the first instance. And while I was there, of course, uh, attended the meeting there. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's very nice. Mm. So you met Du Bois there, and then you, and you maintained. The, I mean, you, I mean, at the at the meeting, you just went up and talked to him, I guess. Well, with lots of students, you know, after yeah. the end of the meeting, we surrounded him and he was just talking and so forth, but I didn't get to know him. I first met him there, but I didn't get to know him as well as I did when uh, uh, he was living in Brooklyn and I was going there to get my books uh, uh, autographed. Yeah. yeah. There we would talk a little bit, you know, not much. He was already old and frail. Yeah. Uh, his wife, she was a white woman. Mm. Uh, she, she accompanied him to exile in Ghana. Mm. Uh, uh, we talked a little bit, not much, but later on I also bought, uh, in those days they had, uh, uh, they didn't have these recordings like you're doing now. So his, his, his life and story were recorded in an LPs, you know, long playing wow. yeah. records. Yeah. And he would talk about his life, what he did the, from the very beginning. Uh, and I had about, what, two or three sets of those that I took to Ethiopia, and, uh, but, you know, they lost there. Yeah. So he, I didn't know that. So that's his autobiography was sort of a spoken story? Well, somebody, yeah, no, no, he'd written his autobiography later, but there was this autobiography of his on, on record, on, on an LP, yeah. which, I, which I bought, I'm trying to say, you know, but there must have been also, I don't know if there was a book, but certainly articles yeah. and stuff, yeah, that, that, that existed. Um, I, I, I should parenthetically mention here, you know, you've heard, of course, of the, uh, uh, rivalry between W.B. Du Bois and uh, Booker T. Uh, Booker T. Washington. Yeah. I mean, uh, there, without any <laughs> hesitation, I was very much of a Du Bois fan, not oh. so much of a of a, uh, of a Booker T. Washington. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll, I'll stop here on, on Du Bois, but. Mm. Just to, by way of, uh, just just to add another key person, I mean another famous person I got to meet in those day in those years was was Malcolm X, not Malcolm X. Uh, I've already mentioned Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. Wow, okay, it's like Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> Martin Luther King had had just completed his PhD at BU, Boston University, uh-huh. when we arrived uh, at at the Harvard. So, and, and the place where, and one of the friends we had was a black, uh, black student at Harvard. He would take us to BU across the river to the chapel there, to the uh, BU chapel, uh, where uh, uh, Martin Luther King uh, would be giving sermons, you know. Wow. Every so often. He wasn't the main, he yeah. wasn't the main uh, pastor. But he was, he had just, he was just starting his career. You know, he had gotten his PhD, as I said, that summer, summer of 56. We arrived yeah. there 
in September of 56, two months earlier, two months later. Oh. So we uh, got to listen to him. We didn't get to know him personally, but at least uh, we came close enough to know him. Um, yeah. I mean, was he, uh, that's, I mean, is that, isn't that unusual? I mean, he was just one of many divinity students. They all rotated as uh, the preachers or? No, they had just hired him as a deputy uh. pastor, as, as a deputy pastor or okay. Uh, I don't know exact title of his, but later on, of course, I mean, he formed his own church, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and left uh, BU. But I mean, Boston. But at that time, he was still in BU at BU. Do you remember his sermons at all? I mean, was he? Uh, no. I mean, he was, he was an amazing, you know, speaker. Yeah, he was but... a very good speaker, very uh, yeah, rough browser kind of speaker, but uh, not really. And yeah. to tell you frankly, I mean, I didn't, we didn't appreciate what. Who Martin Luther King was at that time, you know, he yeah, himself yeah. Was, <laughs> he was just gotten his doctorate. I mean, people, probably this black friend of ours knew where this guy was heading and what his background was, but uh, we didn't know much about him, so it wasn't a big deal for us to yeah. get to know him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think at the time. Yeah. Now, you know, in retrospect, you know, I, I say all these things. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, go. Well, I have to say, so far, it sounds like you have a lot more free time than you did in Ethiopia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, this period was also the time when, I'm, I'm still giving by of the context, this was the time when the 1960 coup took place in Ethiopia. Oh, yeah. The, now, I had no role, of course. <laughs> you know, I was, but I was uh, noted, at, I'll write that down, okay. Yeah, no role, I was at... Uh, <laughs> Newport teaching uh, State University. And in fact, uh, at the time I heard the news about the uh, Emperor Adis Lassie being overthrown, I was digging my car out of the snow. You know, it was, it was, it, we had a big snowstorm uh, in upstate New York and the car was completely covered by snow. And I was trying to get the snow, removing the snow from the car and I had the radio on. Uh, oh my God. So I just couldn't hear, I couldn't. <laughs> and uh, you know, it, I mean, it was uh, a shock. Yeah. Uh, it left an indelible mark on the person of the emperor. He was no longer the virtuous, immortal father that we all knew about. So they were talking about all kinds of things about him, and it was just like a dream. I just couldn't believe it. Mm. So uh, this place, I thought, uh, New Paltz. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's spelled P-A-L-T-Z. New Paltz. It's just uh, across the Hudson from uh, uh, West Point. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay, I never yeah. knew where it was. Okay. Yeah, it's across. The, it's, I knew it was so, upstate, but I didn't know where it was. No, it was seventy-five miles north of uh, north of uh, the city of New uh, York. No, of the city of New York. Okay, that's not that uh, far. Yeah. So it's about halfway yeah. to Albany, or about right, or no? Yes, about half, uh, halfway to Albany. Okay. Uh, one and a half hours by car from New York, and mm. I had a car, so I, every weekend I would go to New York. So, in fact, as soon as I heard that news, I think it was a weekend, or Friday, or something like that, uh, you know, I uh, drove down to New York, uh, being September, no, it was December, December uh, 1960, the, there was a large Ethiopian delegation that had come to the United Nations for the General Assembly meeting. So I went there and uh, mingled with them and tried to find as much as possible, but they too didn't know much. So we were all, uh, you know, gossiping and, and making all kinds of uh, uh, saying what's going, you know, just very concerned, concerned. 
But I must say that the large segment of the educated people were in favor of, you know, I mean, not that they, not that they didn't like the emperor, but they wanted reforms. They wanted uh, the modernization. And uh, uh, for the three days that it, uh, it lasted, three or four days it lasted, uh, it had lots of converts from the Ethiopians in overseas. Wait, what do you mean? It had a lot of comp- what do you mean by that? It, it had lots of support. I mean, the coup. Really, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, it was very popular, but it was ill-planned, unplanned, in fact. Yeah. So it, it crumbled within three or four days, uh, um, but not much was done uh, uh, by way of the foreign students. I mean, the students overseas. Um, there was, <laughs> in fact, uh, someone sent a telegram among the Ethiopian students to the Kud leaders congratulating them. Wow. And okay. signed as president of the Ethiopian unions, which was me. Oh. <laughs> so this uh, brought a little bit of a problem for me later on. I was in, I was in America, so it didn't matter. But uh, luckily, the persons, uh, among the persons who were at the United Nations General Assembly in New York, uh, with whom I intermingled, as I said, having driven down from uh, Newports. I mean, he knew how I felt and so forth and so on. And he was appointed Minister of Foreign Affairs, this Mikhail Imru, Ras Imru's son, uh, Imru, Mikhail Imru. Hmm. And uh, he vouched for my innocence and uh, it didn't, uh, it didn't uh, affect my career at all. Oh my God. <laughs> but that, somebody did the Yeah, but that, that would, it didn't affect your career because you were in. in, in uh... In the U.S., I mean, you know, if you were in Addis Ababa, you'd been in jail. Yeah, except as I said, because this man was there and he became minister, so yeah, yeah could be. Uh, I think I said that on one of the sessions that uh, the students from the university college had gone out in favor of the coup. The coup, but later on they were excused on the ground that uh, they were forced to come out. You know, I was, yeah. I was, uh, I wasn't there. I'm sorry. Yeah. So when during the coup, I mean, all of a sudden there was people said that we need reforms that that had said nothing before, or there's there was some talk which became louder. Well, there might have been grumblings underground, you know, I mean, uh, yeah. under the lair, but nobody would have said it out loud, and yeah. certainly nobody would have thought of uh, getting rid of the emperor. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know how much of the story you know, but at that time, the emperor was on a visit to Brazil. When yeah, he, he was overseas, yeah. yeah. He, was in, he, was on his, he was in Brazil, and he hurried back and uh, uh, first landed in uh, Asmara, and then uh, as soon as he, they knew that he was in Asmara, the, you know, the coup he kind of uh, melted down, melted away. Mm. Um, and also there was no coordination between the imperial guard, which was the leader of the coup, mm. uh, which were leading the coup. And the army, uh, they didn't talk. I mean, they, what I mean, what later on we le- what we learned later on was that they were uh, this they were uh, telling the army people that they were uh, trying to uh, get rid of people who were against the emperor while they were they themselves were doing that. So you know, it was all mixed up. Mm. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, I think we can talk about the coordinator on in, in another form, but uh, yeah. many books are written now, so we don't have to dwell with it. And I had no part in it in any event. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
one last item in terms of uh, the period. This was also the time when I met uh, uh, my future wife, Yeshi. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. 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 I have the pictures. We have the pictures on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had met her, in fact, in Washington hmm. in the summer of 1961. I had come uh, down to Washington to uh, read a paper to the hmm. Ethiopian Students' Union. Hmm. I was the president then, uh, I think I told you already. Yeah. I had come down to, stu- to, to give a lecture to, I mean, uh, a paper to, on education, on Ethiopian education to the students you're meeting at that hour. And she and Busuti were there, uh, had just come, had just arrived from Ethiopia that oh, summer. Okay. okay. And they were in Washington also, and also at uh, Howard for uh, orientation by hmm. uh, the USAID people. So when they heard about this Ethiopian students' meeting, they both came to the meeting. Yeah. Akhtilu Lamma was there also. <laughs> so Akhtilu met his wife as I did uh, at that uh, meeting. Now I was reading the paper, yeah. and that paper later on was published by Howard University itself uh, as part of their, uh, they had an issue. Howard used to publish, I don't know if they still do, a journal called Journal of Negro Education. Wow, and okay. one of the issues, I think the one uh, that came uh, uh, in the fall in, in 1962, I think, a year later or something like that, mm. uh, the, it was devoted to uh, African education. So they invited f- various persons to write the chapters on uh, uh, different countries. And I was invited to write uh, the uh, chapter on Ethiopia. Mm, okay. And what I did was I, I took my <laughs> the paper hundred at that meeting, uh, you know, and, uh, spiced it up, put in a little bit more fat in it, and uh, yeah. and sent it to them. And sure enough, it was published. Well, that's academics, yes. Yeah. So what? So how did you guys meet then? I mean, is, or is that that's another session maybe? But that's it. So that's no, ironic no. that and there I was. You know, a few years later, I was at Howard. So. Uh, well, no, I mean, uh, we we met in, in summer 1961, as I said, Akhil was there, I was there, and uh, we continued our, uh, at least I continued, so did Akhil, our courtship for two more years. Yeah. So in 1963, uh, uh, oh no, between 1961 and 1963, she came to New York, I went to her university in uh, uh, Indiana, uh, what was the name of the place? Uh, Evan? No, not Evanston. Uh, University of Indiana? No, it's Bloomington. We're... Yeah, Bloomington. Yeah. I, I went to Bloomington once, and she came to New York another time. I think in the in, in between uh, 1961 and 1963. So you know there was this courtship, and and in 1963, uh, maybe I'll come back to it later on. Uh, I had been invited to teach a summer course at Syracuse University. Mm. And uh, she, and uh, yeah, she had completed her work, her work for the master's degree at Indiana, but she had she was missing one paper, one course rather, mm. one course, and she arranged for that one course to be taken. She arranged it with her professor at the university to take that one course at Syracuse. Ah. So she came to Syracuse and we stayed a summer together, and we flew back to Ethiopia. Uh, in 1963, you know, the, uh, at the end of my, the summer session, mm. uh, sometime in September, we flew back to Ethiopia, uh, and that was it. I mean, you know, we 
got married a year later in 1964. But there was this courtship period between 1961 and 1963 when we visited each other. So wait, so in that, so in the, in the chronology, mm-hmm. you're at the end of the summer where you taught at Syracuse and she finished her master's. Yeah. You both had finished your American tour. I mean, that was the end. You said we flew back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sixty-three. Yeah. Yeah. By then, I, as I said, I was jumping, so it wasn't very coherent. But by yeah. summer of nineteen sixty-three, I had already stayed three years at New Paltz at the State University. I had earned my uh, PhD, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, we'll come back to you on how I got to be appointed uh, to, to how I uh, got to be appointed to be appointed to teach in Ethiopia. Yeah. But yes, that was the final summer in my in America for me and for her. So just to go back, so 1963, you arrived. When was it? 1957. I think uh, I have to go back to my last set of notes. You, 56. Yeah. I, we came to America. I came to America in 56, and, uh, and and returned in 63. Seven years. That's a long time. I didn't. I didn't know. That. I guess you're right. That is. Yeah. That sounds about right. But it seems like a long time, especially because it's so eventful. Yeah, but also, you know, the three of the years I was teaching while I was writing my dissertation, I should have mentioned. Yeah, that's uh, like double we, time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was writing my dissertation while I was at Newport, but I, I think I'll come back to it in a little while about that um, uh, when I talk about my uh, Newport years. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, she had uh, come in 1961, mm-hmm. you know, when I went to that uh, uh, students' union meeting in at Howard. That was her first month first time in, in America oh my God. Yeah. and for her uh, orientation as I said yeah uh, and uh, at the end of the summer of 61 she went to Bloomington and the city went to Colorado uh, Colorado uh, not uh, Boulder Dam is there, is there a place called Boulder or something yeah you, there's a University of Colorado in Boulder yeah she went there and yeah, yeah. so yeah that's the chronology that's amazing Mm. So much happened in such a little time. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean you know, I mean, very politically charged. I mean, in, even in your life. I mean, I think, I don't know. Now it seems for us that you know we still go through the motions of school, graduate school, and such. It doesn't seem quite as eventful, but maybe well, maybe it will one day. Yeah, when you stop to think about it and yeah. start, God, yeah, you you'll be surprised how much happened yeah. and how fast. <laughs> Well, th- this was by way of background, you know. Yeah. In terms of my uh, education uh, and uh, what I was actually doing, I mean, uh, I was doing something there as well. Yeah. But uh, the f- first question is, why transfer from Harvard to Columbia? You yeah. remember I had finished that. Yeah, you said we'll talk about it, yeah. Yeah, my, I finished my master's degree in uh, 57. Uh. Uh, and got our master's degree, all four of us, yeah. and then you, know, you remember I was trying. We were trying to get uh, to uh, have our uh, PhD, but the government stopped our scholarship, so we went to get uh, jobs. Yeah. You remember the kinds of jobs I mentioned that. Yeah. So by the end of 1957 or mm-hmm. beginning of 58, really in January 58. Uh, all of us moved, you know, all four of us. Ex- no, three of the four of us moved. I think I mentioned that in the previous uh, mm-hmm. thing. Uh, so the question is, how come you moved to, from Harvard to Columbia, you know? Uh, well, the short answer is that in those, in that particular area of education, mm-hmm. in uh, the social and philosophical foundations, Columbia's Teachers College was the place mm-hmm. 
It was the birthplace of the so-called progressive movement in education, the progressive uh, movement meaning the school that preached learn by doing and learn by doing uh, it was the home of great educator uh, john dewey i don't know if you've ever heard of it i've heard the, I mean, the dewey name is in many different places he was also a governor and i mean there's a lot of deweys right no no no, no, no that's another that's, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, john, yeah john dewey was a great uh, philosopher and educator yeah. uh, there's a stamp now for him uh, 30 something cents a stamp uh, i mean so dewey the dewey decimal system no, no. It's That's another, another Dewey. Uh, cause he yeah. just had a stamp, too, I thought, or something. Cause, oh, yeah? yeah. I don't know. Something, his name came up again. But anyway, so John Dewey, sorry. He was the home of John Dewey. He yeah. taught there. Uh, I mean, John Dewey is the guy who wrote uh, a lot of books, Democracy and Education, Experience and Education. There we, there we change the social order. I mean, his name... Yeah. Well, was uh, synonymous with education in those years, and everybody talked about the Dewey movement, yeah. uh, uh, and, and this uh, uh, so-called progressive movement in education is a, a direct descendant of the empirical schools of uh, philosophical thought about which we had learned about uh, about it uh, about, about which we had learned when we were at at Harvard. Um, so the empiricists were those who would. Uh, uh, let's say that uh, unless you can <laughs> touch it and you know, it, 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 you know they wanted empirical evidence for, for everything uh, okay yeah I mean, I'm, 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 I'm very much paraphrasing anyway it was considered uh, sort of the Mecca and Medina of American education I mean mm, wow. you had to go to TC Columbia to really get a name for uh, uh, yourself, uh, if you are to prom- to proceed in in education. Wow. Uh, so uh, I went there uh, and registered in the history and philosophy, the Department of Historical and Foundation, uh, Historical and Philosophical Foundation of Education, uh, and, and and comparative education, the same that I had uh, at at Harvard at uh, Harvard, mm. uh, and. Uh, at that time, the professors at TC, Teachers College, were the uh, successors of John Dewey. Mm. I mean, his students, really. Uh, so it was a great honor to really have those. I mean, I still uh, uh, cherish the uh, uh, fact that I had my education and had my degrees, uh, PhD degree committee um, manned by the direct descendants and students of John mm. Dewey, uh, people like uh, I can mention R. Freeman Butts, B-U-T-T-S, mm. Freeman. Uh, initial R? Uh, initial is R. Mm. Freeman Butts. He's written books after books on mm. uh, the history and philosophy of education. Mm. A guy called Lawrence Kremin, C-R-E-M-I-N, and uh, and George Berade. B-E-R-E-A-D-Y, Berede. George Berede, in fact, is a Polish emigre. So these Polish people are always... They're back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. he was American, American, naturalized American. He was, uh, in fact, he founded the Comparative Education Society, uh, yeah. of which I became one of the first members, and to which I wrote uh, an article for, in fact. The second issue of the Comparative Education Review contained an article I had written for uh, on Ethiopian education. Uh, which really, I mean, and I must confess, was a term work, a term paper I had written for a period 
which was embellished and uh, improved and, and published. Because he was the editor as well as my professor. Well, I mean, nothing, nothing changes. You, just, you have to make, make the right contacts and learn to recycle. Yeah. 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 Uh, and that paper was published in February of 59. So mm. it was um, February. No, it couldn't. Yeah, February 59, because I had arrived in Colombia uh, uh, January 58, so a year later, yeah. Mm. Um, in fact, also, I should mention that I eventually became a, a technical teacher assistant for uh, uh, Day as well as uh, uh, for R. Freeman Bus. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so as, as a graduate student? In other words, as a graduate student, yeah. So, uh, yeah. No, as a PhD candidate, I had already gotten my master's degree, you remember? Yeah. Yeah, yeah as, a, as a graduate student. Uh, among the things that was notable in those years at Teachers College, was they had a very large summer school. I mean, the mm. school at Teachers College, the education school at Teachers College, mm. was, I don't know, easily five, six, seven times larger than the one at, at Harvard. Wow, okay. Uh, we're talking about here uh, two, 3,000 students just in one school of the Graduate School of Education, which was called Teachers College. Teachers College was a, a, a semi-autonomous uh, body at a school uh, attached to Columbia University. I shouldn't say attached, but... Uh, it, it's part of Columbia University, but it had on certain things its own. You know, it had its own president, for instance, and it, uh, and there were on certain things it had some kind of an autonomy. But it was part of the Columbia. We got our degrees in the same graduation ceremony as as as, uh, as Columbia. Our degrees were signed by the same president of Columbia University and so forth and so on. But it had some kind of autonomy, a little bit of an autonomy, because it has its own president and it raised money and so forth. Anyway, one of the significant events of uh, features of Columbia University in those days was that it was a large summer school. And that summer school was attended by uh, southern teachers, mm. uh, blacks, or... Really? Should, yeah, because... So, wait, so, so the summer school is for teachers? For, yeah, well, the whole university, the whole teachers' yeah. college was for teachers. Yeah, and I mean, because some colleges have under, like, high school, you know, I mean, like, they have... No, no. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, UC has a famous, you know, University of Chicago has a famous, you know, high school, right? I mean, where they actually sort of teach. Or the lab school. Yeah, lab school, exactly. Okay. But this is, a, this, this is a teacher's college summer school. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that school, the lab school at Chicago was <coughs> started by John Dewey himself. Before <laughs> okay. he came to teacher's college, he was at Chicago. Wow. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah. yeah it's a big deal. Uh, well, uh these teachers who came from the south uh, were those that couldn't get admitted, you know, because of the uh, because of the racial uh, uh, discrimination. They were not allowed to get into the University of Florida or University of uh, Arkansas or any of the southern big universities. So their only chance was to get to uh, northern universities mm. and they needed uh, some courses or something to upgrade themselves and get a good uh, you know increase uh, salary increments and so forth so large numbers of them flocked mm. to teachers college but that particular program was not uh, at par with the rest of the teachers college uh, courses mm. so it was kind of uh, a summer a general service course kind of thing for the summer students okay, okay. and uh, uh, 
I mention this because as a teacher, as a teacher assistant, teaching assistant, I had a large scope of work uh, in terms of even lecturing in the classes later on. I mean, I did all the grading and um, uh, giving advice and uh, monitoring them and so forth. But in addition, I would once in a while also be, uh, you know, Berede would tell me, you know, please uh, go and uh, give this lesson or that lesson. So uh, I... I uh, uh, the, sh the short uh, point I was trying to make was that uh, I felt quite uh, academically uh, quite established because I was not only a graduate student uh, nearing his uh, PhD, but uh, the semi-teacher kind of thing, you know, mm -hmm. giving courses there and so on. So I was academically. It's kind, of, it's kind of repeating your pattern from the from the uh, priests in Addis Ababa across the street. <laughs> <laughs> Almost, yeah. Well, Berede uh, and 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 Butts and and Kremlin were very fond of me, mm. and they were uh, teasing me. When are you going to become the minister of education of Ethiopia? <laughs> uh, um, a little later, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so academically, I was secure. I had. Uh, you know, establish myself there among as a student, not as an academic. Um, politically, I was very active in the students' movement. Mm. Um, socially, with uh, a few but close friends uh, who are still around. You know, you know, Yayu, you know, uh, Andy, you know, Hamid. I just died. Manasseh, all of these were together. So it was a small, uh, uh, but close friends that we did there, and um, I did my classwork in two and a half years at Columbia. Mm. And uh, by 1960, by the fall of 1960, uh, I had done all the coursework requirements and only the dissertation uh, uh, remained. Mm. Uh, at that time, the teachers themselves uh, found me a job. Uh, they decided that I should have a job. Well, you know, they were trying to help me because I... Uh, uh, at, at New Paltz. So they found me this job at New Paltz, at State University of New York, which is, as I said, uh, only 70 miles, 75 miles from New York City. Um, but why did you, I mean, you, you, you wanted a job for the money, for the training? You know, I, mean, I mean, I'm sure there's multiple reasons, but were there other, you know, PhD candidates, you know, who were all for dissertation who went on to do full-time jobs? Uh, well, it was becoming very difficult economically to do uh, because our scholarship uh, was discontinued after a while, you know. Again? Uh, I, th I thought they restarted it. So it, it They started it, but after two years, uh, after we finished our coursework, I mean, mine ended. Yeah. And they didn't give me So we needed money to, yeah. So I was looking for a job, and this job came in handy, and I could teach as well as uh, write my dissertation. Yeah. So that's uh, how I went to Newports. Mm. Uh, I don't know whether we should stop here or should continue. It's, one in, it's been an hour and 15 minutes. It will take up. Okay. So we're now at Newports. This is uh, September 1960. Mm. Uh, uh, this is the State University of New York. It was the nearest campus for New York City. So a lot of our students came uh, from the city itself. Mm. Uh, as there was no other branch of the city of New York, uh, of, the, uh, city system, of the city university system in the city of New York itself. I didn't know that. Uh, okay. No, there wasn't any at the time, no. Uh, 
Now there's uh, Long Island, right? I mean, that's, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. In fact, we used to go to Long Island uh, and teach extension courses from Newport. A, a group of us, uh, twice a week, we would drive down there and give uh, courses there for uh, until the campus itself opened. Uh, there was a temporary facility at uh, one of the high schools. So, yeah, so there was no campus. Yeah. Uh, this was a very small college, really. When it started, it was just a teacher training college. Hmm. It, it, and uh, it was elevated to uh, the college, to a college, what they call College of Education. It was called uh, State College of Education. Hmm. And subsequently, as a liberal arts college. Hmm. And, and, and believe it or not, all this uh, transformation happened while I was there. In the wow. three years I was there. Uh, and the transformation took place because we had a very uh, progressive uh, governor called Nelson Rockefeller. What do you know? Okay. He was, he was a Republican, but he was on the progressive. He was a progressive wing of the Republican, and in fact, uh, the Rockefeller wing of the Republican Party, as it used to be called. Yes. He was governor of New York State, and he was he had the ambition of making the state university system in New York comparable to the one in, in California. Wow. And, uh, and he even bought a whole university, believe it or not, the University of Buffalo, which was uh, a, a private college at the time, a private university at the time. Uh, Rockefeller bought the college and made it part of the state university system. So it was... <laughs> if only California had him now. <laughs> it was became SUNY uh, uh, Buffalo. Uh, oh, and, and, wow. and I think it was uh, how many campuses it had, I forget, but uh, 10, 11, 12. Uh, wow. So New Newport was one of the smallest ones, but being close to New York, uh, it had a lot of urban influence. I mean, you know, it was more uh, on Corral with what was going on in the world, so to say. Um, anyway, I was hired uh, largely because the college president, uh, uh, Eugene Link, uh -huh. I, I remember his name. He had he and whatever board or whatever administrative machinery they had at that time, I don't know. Uh, they had decided that all undergraduates in the college should have exposure to non-Western societies. Okay. I think I mentioned that just a little yeah. earlier. Uh, so I, uh, I and another colleague, in fact, two other colleagues, three of us were in charge of the um, African uh, unit. Another one was for Middle East. There was a, uh, an Asia uh, group and a Latin American group. So there were three or four groups, I think. Um, and all undergraduates would have to take this, these courses. So, you know, we were quite uh, kept busy. In addition to that course, uh, I was also teaching uh, a course on uh, this, uh, the, I should just backtrack a little bit and say what this course is all about. It's really like Africa 101. Mm. Uh, you remember this is 1960 when all those uh, countries became independent. So Africa was in the news and then and the university, the college must have felt that, you know, these students, before they went and graduated, they should have know something about what these countries are, who, yeah. what they were doing. And, you know, just that's the most rudimentary. I mean, just the fact that they're there and what where the boundaries are. So, so it was a f uh, kind of a survey course. You remember I uh, told you that I myself was exposed to a, call, a survey of Africa, which uh, 
was history, culture, uh, ethnology, everything, politics, all, all. It was it was a little bit of that. So it was not. Uh, it was a, a freshman 101 kind of course. Uh, but in addition to that, I I taught uh, in the upper grades a course on. Uh, uh, in sociology, public opinion, and mass media, which was the course that really took a lot of my time because it, it needed a lot of preparation. It wasn't exactly in my field because I'd majored in comparative education, but I had read quite a bit on uh, uh, Walt Lippmann and and uh, C. Wright Mills. Oh, this is a guy who, who, whose name uh, I like to remember, C. Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, Mills, M-I-L-L-S. You, have you heard of him? Mm-mm. I've heard well, of Walt Lippmann, but not C. Wright Mills. Never heard of him. Yeah, C. Wright, C. Wright Mills uh, was a fantastic uh, teacher. In fact, he was teaching at Columbia, and I had taken one of his courses, but not for credit, but uh, for audit. He's a guy who's wrote uh, books like The Power Elite, The Sociological Imagination, The Causes of the Third World War, you know. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> early, yeah. He <laughs> uh, was a fantastic guy. Uh, he was my kind of a hero in those right. days uh, um, and uh, uh, he died I know I'm jumping a little bit he died in 1962 while I was still at New Paltz, mm. and the students who knew that I was he was my hero came the editor came and said Mr. Rodaj or no Professor Rodaj he came and said <laughs> could you write his obituary for us please and mm. I wrote his obituary for the student newspaper mm. uh, in very gallant, I mean, uh, <laughs> high, uh, with high adjectives, you know, you can mm. imagine. Uh, anyway, uh, so that course. What, what, I mean, just going back, I mean, the title of the course is Public Opinion in the Mass Media. Walt, Lipp- Walt Lippmann makes sense, I mean, because yeah. you know, he was an editorial writer who was very introspective. Yeah. Well, this other, I mean, how does C. Wright Mills fit into this? Well, I mean, or what did he teach? First of all, you didn't tell me. He said he was a teacher at Columbia. He, he was a political. Uh, what the, I think he described himself as a, a po- political sociologist kind of thing. You know, his yeah. book, so, the sociological imagination, or or, or take the power elite. The yeah. thesis of the power elite was that uh, the uh, now it is it's commonly uh, spoken about. Even Eisenhower, his last speech was about the power elites, namely that the elites of the army, of, of industry, uh, and commerce, and so forth, they all kind of intermingled and they formed a social class of their own. Mm. Yeah. And and he, I mean, he, at that time it was a novel idea, even a revolutionary idea. Mm. Wright Milson himself was considered a leftist, and some would consider him a socialist. But of course, uh, I don't think he was a socialist. Um, but uh, he also wrote a lot about the mass media and mm. how the mass media was uh, making uh, the country homogeneous in terms of thought, in terms of. Uh, Activity in terms of uh, their common reference was all becoming more and more uh, one. That there was mm. getting uh, that America was losing its, its heterogeneity. Mm. Uh, he was making the point that Chicago is just another New York, except that it's in the Midwest. In terms of the in- industries that are there, the shops that are there, the things that are being sold, the means of transportation, the articles they read. You know, that, that, so in that sense, uh, he was into uh, mass media. Mm. So he, he was very much uh, uh, required reading for my students in that course. Um, there were others, of course, but I just mentioned Walter Lippmann and yeah. uh, 
and him. That's amazing. I mean, this is, you know, at this point, uh, national broadcasting on television was what? Maybe seven, I mean, 10 years old, maybe? 1952, 1962? Mm, Could have been that, that long. That no, not too many. No, I think that started in the 40s, isn't it? Just after Te the war. Television? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, how many people had televisions in the forties anyway? But I mean, I mean, you know, yeah. this is still, you know, where we are. You know, fifty years later. I mean, you know. Yeah, I know there were only three stations. I mean, three, three networks: ABC, yeah. NBC, and CBS. Well, there were there, there were radio networks in the during the wartime. I mean, the first color TV was in the fifties. I know that. So, but I don't know. It's just amazing. I mean, this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if this was that obvious then. I mean, you know, was, we've 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 lost more perspective, right? <laughs> Well, for, it was obvious for not the general public, for people, but for people like uh, C. Wright Mills. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so he was really leading the intellectual awakening uh, in regard to the uh, getting America homogenized. Mm. Sorry, you were going to say something? No, that's not. I mean, it's just it's amazing that, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I trust to his insights, I, it, but it, it's, it's even more worrisome where we are now, right? I mean, what's been lost since, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Um, so you were but, talking about the department and what you were teaching. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, yeah uh, the general course uh, on, on Africa, plus this course on um, uh, the mass media and public opinion. Um, and, you know, I, I, the... Uh, Point there, I was the only black person on the campus, uh, <laughs> staff-wise, from okay. the staff. Students, there may have been a few, but even the students, there were very, very few. Uh, so uh, I was quite well known. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, there was, uh, I'm, I should say this, I replaced a black American who had been notorious in, on the campus and everybody didn't like me. He was out, outspokenly anti-white and he made himself unpopular vis-a-vis uh, -vis the staff as well as vis-a-vis -vis the students and the community. So they managed to get rid of him. And when they took me in his place, they had, uh, you know, they were, you know, watching me with, with <laughs> very, very carefully. And, uh, and had it not been for the nice words, uh, that they heard from my professors from Colombia who found the job for me. Yeah. I don't think they would have hired me because they had a bad experience with that other guy. I never met him, but I, his uh, uh, bad name was all over the place when I went there, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, so, so bad was, had his, uh, his reputation was that they were afraid that I wouldn't find a place to live in. So wow. it, was, it was the dean's wife and the head of the department's wife who took it upon themselves to find an apartment for me. <laughs> <laughs> and my apartment was just across the campus, really. It was very, very close. Um, um, just a few yards away, I could see the administrat administration building from my, yeah. from my room. <laughs> wow. um, so uh, I paid only $70 a month. The, oh, the, my landlord was the... the uh, um, butcher of the town. He had a, a butcher shop. <laughs> so I got good meat reserved for me. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so that was uh, the kind of atmosphere. But I, 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 because I was so different from that other guy 
I was trying to explain why I became popular. I was yeah. so different from that other, other black guy who had, uh, whom, I had, whom I'm replacing. I soon became kind of, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> some of a... Uh, very popular because you know I I didn't get on the on anyone's way. I was not anti-white. I was not anything. Uh, you know I was not a black uh, uh, activist and so on. So I stayed there uh, three years mm. uh, between 1960 and 1963, mm-hmm. um, and I was as I said I was writing my dissertation. So my I divided my day. Uh, something else like uh, like this. I would get up something like two o'clock in the morning. Oh my God! Yeah, uh, devote my until six o'clock. From two to six, I would be writing my dissertation. Those were the days when they didn't have Google or <laughs> they yeah. didn't, you know, you the much of the time was taken by uh, literature survey, you know, what has been written on this particular subject. I should say that I was writing on UNESCO's program of what they had called at the time fundamental education. Uh, it was an analysis and uh, uh, its ups and downs and so forth. Uh, incidentally, I, uh, I mean, this is just some passant. I don't know whether I should even say it. I found uh, uh, large portions of that dissertation after 40 years, 1963. Uh, how many years is it? Uh, 63, that'd be, you know, 45, 47 years, yeah. Yeah. After 40-some years, yeah. uh, I found a large portions of it published verbatim in another article, uh, in a book. <laughs> so I got in touch with the guy and he said, well, you know, the, uh, he was writing on the history of adult education and, and this fundamental education was the closest to adult education and didn't get much material about, about the period uh, under the question. Anyway, so well, hold on a second. That, his, his excuse for plagiarism was I couldn't find anything else. Well, no. I mean, he said uh, he was just using well, that particular period. I mean, and, and in any event, I think the after fifty, after thirty years, the dissertations uh, don't have any copyrights or anything. He, I don't think copyright and plagiarism are 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 <laughs> connected. I'm sorry, but okay. Yeah, but I, I, this this happened only last week, so I must I must dig into it much more. But okay. but I was just uh, anyway. I, we'll talk about it. Later. So between two and six, I would get up and write my dissertation. At six o'clock, I would stop and uh, get ready for breakfast and so forth and so on. And between six and eight thirty, I would. You know, that's the time to get prepared uh, for class and eat my breakfast and, and so forth. And, and then be ready at my staff office, my uh, college office, at 8.30. Wow. So between 8.30 and 12.30, I would be at the college. And in the afternoons, uh, I was more or less free, but uh, there may be students who would come for, you know, to uh, for consultation and so forth. Uh, so, but it was a very compact and uh, busy topic but uh, uh, I managed to do it <laughs> so did you so I mean, you went to bed early I would assume yeah went to bed early there was nothing else it was a small campus there yeah uh, so I mean, uh, in that sense it worked out well I mean it, it's I, I mean knowing you I think you would have had the discipline to do it anyway but you know it's, it's nice to have a structure because otherwise it's, you know if you don't have a deadline if you don't have a daily schedule it's, sometimes you can get lost yeah that's true um, you know the nearest place where you could get anything uh, worth worth uh, uh, watching or having movies or uh, mm. 
uh, or listening lectures was at Vassar College uh, in mm. Poughkeepsie, Poughkeepsie, which is only which was only about like ten miles away. Sometimes we would go to the uh, across the river to uh, the military camp, military, uh, West Point, you know, mm. for lectures and so forth. Uh, I should also mention here that you know, because uh, when we mentioned the West Point, it reminded me of. Uh, um, uh, the, the, this is also the home place of uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt. Uh, Which one was? This West Point. He lived in his, his home, uh, I forget the name now, was just a few, a couple of miles, three, four, five miles away from West Point. Yeah, uh, I have to look that up. His yeah. big, his big, uh, his big, that's where he spent it, yeah. half his presidency was there. He was hiding out half the time. I mean, that's where he was. Yeah, yeah. Or on the train in between. What was the, what was the name of uh, that? I don't know. Now you got me curious. Yeah. And then his wife built a house there. And then, you know, I think he's buried there, isn't he? As his dog is buried there. Father is buried there. Could be. But yeah. the point uh, relevant to this is that Mrs. Roosevelt, yeah. Eleanor Roosevelt, had uh, established a custom to come to New Poles every yeah. year sometime in March, sit down with the faculty in the faculty dining room and uh, open it for uh, any questions. Wow. You know, so we would uh, you know, have that one hour or whatever time it takes to get a meal done, uh, an hour. Yeah. Uh, everybody would throw questions to her and she would, she would socialize. And this was a, a habit she had formed and uh, being a strong lady, she kept it to the end. God bless her. For those years out there, yeah. yeah. And I remember when it came to me to ask her, my, the question I asked her was, um, uh, Mrs. Roosevelt, uh, do you mind telling us uh, which is your favorite uh, uh, newspaper? Okay. Okay. I'm sure she had an opinion. Yeah, you know what she uh, said? Uh, <laughs> Very politically, she, uh, adroit as she is, she uh, said, I read them all. <laughs> so that was the end of the question. And then the <laughs> At least with her, he believed it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, I think we're finished. That sum, the end of the summer in 1963 of summer. Yeah. Uh, while I was still at Newport, I was invited to teach a course at uh, Syracuse. Uh, but just before I went to Syracuse, uh, in, again, sometime in the spring, or uh, I, I went to Syracuse in the summer, so sometime. Uh, in the spring, I, I graduated. I should I mentioned 19, in the spring of 1963, I, I got my doctor's degree. So you, uh, did you go defend it? Don't you have to go back to Columbia? Well, I, I go there quite often. I didn't say that, but uh, yeah. I had a car. It was yeah. only an hour and a half away. Virtually yeah. every weekend, I was in New York because it's such a lonely place there. Yeah. And, and continue my associations with Andy and so forth. And also meet with the United Nations uh, delegations. As I said, I used to invite some of these UN delegations to come mm. to my class mm. and, and give lectures. So I was in, con I mean, you know, it was just, and I had this 1957 Chevrolet Impala, <laughs> mm. which was, uh, which now it's a collector's item in the, the Impalas. I don't know if you've heard of them. Chevrolet. The big, the big, big tails, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The one in '58, '59 became big tails, but the one in '57 was just right. <laughs> <laughs> that was we'll, right. we'll put that just right, okay? <laughs> yeah, just right. Uh, I bought it for six hundred dollars. Uh, wow. You know, you remember when I was at Harvard, we finishing at Harvard, we had bought a 1951 Ford for for hundred fifty dollars. It's this going was, up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was a '56. Chevy, and the year was 60. 
So it was oh, six, wow. only four, four years old, you know? Yeah. It's like now buying a, a 2000, this is 2010, buying a 2006 Chevrolet yeah. for $600. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. So, uh, so I was on constant, you know, I went there to defend courses, uh, my, my, to defend my dissertation, uh, to research, and to for um, consultations with my professors. I was in constant. As I said, much of the afternoon I was more or less free. So I had oh. a bit of time for that. And it's only an hour and a half. Sometimes it was easier to take the bus and oh. uh, not driving to New York. Uh, and I would take there was a bus stop there, I would take uh, the bus um, an hour and a half again, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, go to Times Square and then take the subway up to Columbia. I lived in New York, so I knew the subway system without any problem. Um, but just before I went to uh, Syracuse, uh, I went to Syracuse in June, I think, June, and the summer school started in June, July, June. Um, sometime in the spring, May of 63, uh. Uh, I <laughs> had two, no, uh, two visitors, mm. unexpected visitors from Ethiopia. Oh, they, okay. they just materialized from nowhere. I was, I was, it was surprising. I was surprised. Uh, and these were Dr. Akhilu Habte, Akhilu Habte, and one of the judges from the old days. His name I have it somewhere. Uh, yeah. It was Trudeau, Father yeah. Mr. Trudeau, uh, Pierre Trudeau. Pastor Those guys yeah. came and uh, to my apartment, knocked at my door, or opened, yeah. there they were. And you know what? They had come yeah. to offer me a contract Yes, uh, to teach at the just formed Haile Selassie University. Wow. In um, person? In person. They came all the way to my campus, to my apartment. Uh, oh, my God. And uh, they offered me a contract that I could say, I couldn't say no to. First of all, you know, uh, I had overstayed my, you know, I mean, you know, uh, uh, I had, uh, there was no reason to say no because I had gotten my PhD. I had lived in America seven years. I should go back and serve my country. I, I can't even grumble about not getting the right, the right. Uh, um, I mean, I was appointed as assistant professor, not as a lecturer. You know, the right title. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, you know, the top the, the top end of that salary range. Mm. So there was no reason I could say no. So uh, I signed uh, the you signed it? contract uh, right in there, and uh, uh, a month later I was at Syracuse, and as I said earlier on, um, uh, yeah, she came to, to, to finish that one course that she was missing, and by September we were on our, our way back to Ethiopia. Wow. Yeah. So, it all, so it all came together at the end. That was going to be my question. Did you know what's going to happen at the end? And uh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it was by the by the by September uh, we were on our way to Ethiopia. We flew together. Yes, she stayed behind in Asmara yeah. because Bissati's uh, family were there. Yeah. Uh, but I continued to Addis, and I arrived there on uh, New Year's Day in Kutatash, Maskaram One, in 1963, September 11, 1963, Maskaram One in Ethiopian calendar, uh, and. Nobody was expecting me, so I took uh, a taxi to my mother's house. Yeah. 
everybody was surprised, but luckily it was the uh, New Year, so they didn't have to make any special meals for me or anything. I was uh, so that was. Uh, I think this completes my stay in America, more or less. It does. It ends with a, ends with a very nice ending. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. So, 